when we last saw Peter, he was at the lowest point in his life. And you remember this painting by Peter Jansen shows us the depths to which Peter had sunk. Only Judas uh, fell lower. After fleeing the garden, the Bible teaches us that Peter regained courage enough to enter the courtyard of the high priest. Now, we have to give Peter some credit here, don't we? Uh, a lesser man would have hightailed it after, uh, you know, that account and, and just headed out of town. But somewhere between the courage of uh, the entrance that Peter had into the courtyard of the high priest and the cowardice of his denials, he became afraid. Uh, perhaps he was afraid that he would be recognized as the one who wielded the sword. He might have thought that he could easily be arrested for attempted murder. And so there was a tug of war in Peter's soul between courage and fear, and ultimately fear won out. Satan often does that, doesn't he? He uses our fear of others to lead us into sin. What will they say? How will they react? How will they treat me? Uh, just last evening, before I left uh, church to head home, somebody said to me, in my place of work, if you have Christian values, you are considered the bad person. And Satan loves to use intimidation to make us afraid. If you'd open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 14, you'll notice that Peter's denials progressed in intensity and severity. Uh, you'll notice in verse 68, the first denial was a simple plea of ignorance. He said, verse 68, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then it progressed in verse 70 to a simple denial. In verse 70, again, he denied it. But then finally, we reach the culmination of his denials in verse 71, where he gives a false oath. The Bible says he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. To swear here meant putting himself under an oath, and the curse was calling curses down upon himself if his oath were untrue. So it's very interesting. The first two denials, Peter denied being identified with Jesus, but in the third denial, he denied Jesus himself. Can I just stop here and say something I think all of us need to understand and see? If sin is not dealt with, it progresses from bad to worse, doesn't it? We all know that that is true. If we ignore sin, it will not get better, but it will continue to grow. Now, none of this happened, as we saw last week with Peter. None of this happened suddenly. But Peter took steps away from the Lord that led him to this place. Last Sunday, as we began this section of, God, of Mark's Gospel, we, we saw this principle that we learn from Peter. It's really the lesson from his failure and the Lord's restoration of him. 
And the principle is this, that spiritual failure is a process of taking steps away from the Lord that requires steps back to the Lord. Now, gratefully, this was not Peter's end. It was the end for Judas. The Bible says that Judas betrayed Jesus, then went out and hung himself. And Peter himself later said that Judas went to his own place. But it was different for Peter. Peter denied Jesus, but then he repented. And in that process of repentance... He came wonderfully black to the Lord. And so this morning we want to return to this message that I'm simply calling Hearing the Rooster's Call. And we want to see now the process of spiritual recovery. Let's just take a moment and pray together, shall we? Lord, uh, teach us now. We just sung about how only you can hold us fast. We don't have the strength ourselves to maintain our walk with you. It must be something that you do for us and in us. And Lord, when we have failed, we need not be like Judas, who saw no future hope and therefore in remorse took his own life. But we can be like Peter, though he wept bitterly over his sinful failure. The blessed Savior wonderfully restored him. Give us that hope now, each one of us, of spiritual recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me, if you would, at verse 72. The Bible says, And immediately the rooster rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remember how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Here's the first step back in the process of spiritual recovery. It is conviction by the Holy Spirit. Uh, There are two simultaneous events that the Holy Spirit used to convict Peter. Number one, the Bible tells us here in verse 72 that the rooster crowed a second time. Earlier in the verses, we heard the first crowing. And now in verse 72, after the third denial, we hear the second crowing. It was interesting, there was a man who uh, spent some time in Jerusalem, and he said that he observed over 12 years that the rooster crows three times from midnight to 3 a.m., And each crowing lasts about three to five minutes. He said the first crowing occurs at 12.30 a.m. Then the second one is an hour later at 1.30 a.m. And then the third crowing occurs at 2.30 a.m. What that tells us is that Peter's denials all occurred in about one hour, certainly less than two hours. And with the rooster crowing over and over again for about three to five minutes, it was like an alarm clock going off in Peter's soul. And the Holy Spirit used that crowing to convict him of his sin, that he had indeed denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus had said. A second thing that we learn from Luke's gospel is that Jesus looked at Peter. 
Uh, Keep your finger here in Mark 14 and turn with me over to Luke 22. And I want you to notice what occurred almost simultaneously now as Jesus looks at Jesus, at Peter. Luke 22, and notice with me verses 60 to 62. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Again, there are many paintings of this scene. And what a poignant scene it is. At this very precise moment, Jesus was led from the house in glancing distance of Peter, and he looked at him. As Peter's eyes locked with Jesus' eyes, he could already begin to see the markings of the beatenness that had begun on the face of Jesus. And this, plus the repeated crowing that he had just heard, caused him to remember the Savior's prophecy. And the Holy Spirit now uses both events, the crowing of the rooster and the looking of Jesus, to convict Peter's soul. I remember 30 years ago, I was listening to a sermon on the radio. It was by Pastor John Guest, who uh, at that time was a pastor in Pittsburgh. And one thing he said 30 years ago that struck me, and I have never forgotten it, I had never heard it quite like this. He said, all change begins with repentance. And I'd never heard anyone say it like that before. All change in our lives begins with repentance. The word repentance means to think differently. It means to reconsider. And it includes reformation as well as reversal. So when we understand the meaning of the word, what we understand is there is no change without repentance. Unless we reconsider, we cannot reform. And repentance always begins with conviction of sin. The old-timers used to call this compunction. Has it been a while since you've heard that word? Compunction. You know what it means? It means to prick sharply. To prick sharply. And that's what conviction is. When conviction pricks the conscience sharply with guilt. And there is no change without it. Let me ask us a a question this morning. As Jesus looked at Peter, what was in the look of Jesus? What did Peter see that brought him to the place of conviction and repentance? The answer to that question will help us understand true Holy Spirit conviction. I shared with you last week, I have a book in my library entitled Classic Sermons on the Apostle Peter. There is a sermon in that book entitled Christ's Look. 
It was preached by Alexander McLaren, who was a, a wonderful pastor in London, England. And he shares with us what was in the look of Jesus. And let me share with you this morning that because it is the key to whether we have experienced true Holy Spirit conviction. Number one, it was a look of knowledge. It was a look of knowledge. When Jesus looked at Peter, he was saying to him, I know what you did. Holy Spirit conviction is when we know the Lord knows what we did. You see, in the heat of his denials, Peter was thinking about one thing, saving his own skin. And he was totally oblivious to the fact that he was doing exactly what Jesus had said he would do. By the way, sin is that way. The only one we are thinking about when we are sinning is self. In fact, it doesn't take long as you are in your journey as a Christian where you finally arrive to that place where you have this insight that sinks into your soul. Sin is self-centeredness. Sin is selfishness. But when the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, we start thinking about the Lord. It is always the beginning of this process of conviction. Isn't the prodigal son a wonderful example of this? You read the story about the prodigal son, it was all about him. It was about what he wanted. It was about the life that he wanted to live. It was about what he thought that he was missing out on. It was about the sins that he wanted to enjoy. It was all about him until conviction came. And you remember what the apostle or what the prodigal son said when conviction came. He came to his father and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the son who thought only about himself when he came under conviction began to think about his father. Secondly, Alexander McLaren says that Jesus' look was a look of pain. And as Jesus looked at Peter, it was as though he was saying, I feel what you did. See, as Peter saw the face of Jesus, which we know had already begun with the beating, he realized the physical pain that he was already enduring. And he knew added to that physical pain was the inner sorrow that his denials had caused to Jesus. I want you to think about this. Conviction is not just feeling bad. It is not just, I messed up. It is not foremost, I have hurt people. But conviction is feeling, I have displeased the Lord, I have caused him sorrow. You may remember when David committed his great sins that he is so notorious of. The Bible says that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
But it took a long time for David to recognize that God was displeased. And finally, in that great psalm, Psalm 51, where David now, under conviction, confesses his sin. Remember what he says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And true conviction comes to our hearts when we know that sin is against God and we have displeased God Himself. This week as I was coming preparing for this message, I came across a wonderful statement that I just thought I have to share this on Sunday morning with God's people. It comes from Pastor Tim Keller who is a pastor in New York City. And look what he says. Legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. While real repentance says, I broke God's heart. And how true that is. You see, breaking God's rules, that can really be very self-centered, all about me. I have failed. But true repentance is always all about God. I have broken His heart. We all know that things between a parent and a child really begin to change when the child sees the parent's heart. As long as the child only sees the rules of the parent and resents those rules... Things will not change between that parent and that child. But once that child looks beyond those rules and sees the heart of that parent and understands that parent gave those rules because of a deep love for that child, then the relationship between parent and child can change because the child is now seeing the parent's heart. See, real conviction, it always comes when we see our sin against the heart of God. One final thing in this look of Jesus. Alexander McLaren said it was a look of love. And it was as though Jesus said, I care what you did. I agree with those who say that Jesus' look was not one of anger. I think when Jesus looked at Peter, there was not wrath. There was not rejection. It was a look of love. Would you agree with me this morning? I think the look said, I predicted this. I know it. I'm grieved by it. But Peter, I love you despite of it. And I want you to think about this. The very moment that Peter denies Jesus thinking only of himself, Jesus was being led away to die for Peter because Jesus was thinking of others. What a contrast here. Peter was brokenhearted because it was a look of love from Jesus. I have to ask all of us here this morning, have any of us failed the Lord? And maybe we are here this morning feeling brokenhearted. 
Maybe we are right in the same position that, that Peter was. Can I say this to all of us? Don't resist that brokenheartedness. It is the best thing that could happen right now in your life. The lowest times in my life have been those times when I have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Those are the lowest times a Christian can have. But they have also been the very best times of my life because that conviction led me back to the Lord. And let me say to you today, do not resist the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Let it have its deep work in your heart. Now, as we continue to look at Peter's recovery, we discover a second stage. Secondly, after the Holy Spirit convicts us, there must be confession by the sinner. The Bible tells us that Peter broke down and he wept. And what he experienced was true biblical confession. The culmination of his conviction was that he went out and he wept bitterly. Here is another very, very famous painting of Peter now leaving the courtyard of the high priest and in grief, weeping, bitter, bitter tears. You know what these were? These were tears of remorse. Now, godly sorrow does not always issue in tears of remorse. Some of us are the type of people that we just simply do not cry easily. I knew a man who should have cried, but he said, I cannot cry. He was not that kind of a man. Sometimes conviction will lead to tears of remorse, but not always. But let me say this. All godly sorrow issues in feelings of remorse. Don't distinguish simply between tears and feelings of remorse. There can be an absence of tears, but all godly sorrow will have feelings of remorse. So how does confession begin? It begins with grieving over our sin, feelings of remorse. But then the next thing it leads to is admitting sin, admitting sin. Do you know the word confess means to speak the same thing? It is a word that means admitting one's guilt and what one was accused of. Do you know there are only four things we can do with sin? We can deny it. We can excuse it. We can blame others for it. Or we can admit it. And God is always looking for the last one. Let me just stop here for, the, for a moment. The first three are clear evidences. We have not allowed the Holy Spirit to bring true conviction to us. If we deny our sin, well, I'm really not that bad. It really wasn't that bad. Or if we excuse it. 
Well, if you only understood what other people had done that put me in this situation, if you only understood the choices that were available to me, or if we blame others for it, if they hadn't done what they did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Or, uh, you know, it was, it was their actions first that led to my actions. Whenever those three things are occurring, when we are denying it, or we are excusing it, or blaming others, we can always be sure that we are resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, Holy Spirit conviction leads to admitting it. And that's what God, God wants. You know, in his book, Born Again, Chuck Colson, who worked in the White House for Richard Nixon and went to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal, said this about President Nixon. He said he could never admit he was wrong in anything. He said even when Nixon obviously had a cold, nose running, face red, sneezing, all the symptoms, he never admitted it. Years later, an aide wrote a book about his relationship with Richard Nixon. And this is what he said in 1991. He had a conversation with our former president, and Nixon said this to him. It took me a long time to accept the fact that what happened in Watergate was my fault. The bottom line, he said, is that I brought it on myself. And that's what the Lord is waiting for from us. It was my fault. I brought it upon myself. And the longer we wait to get to that place, the more distant we remain from God. See, confession involves grieving over sin. It involves admitting sin. And then finally, it involves forsaking sin. Confession does not mean that we will never sin again, but what it does mean is that we don't want to sin again. There's a verse in Proverbs, and I think it's such a wonderful verse. Let's read it together this morning. Proverbs 28:13, because it is a reflection of the heart of the person who has truly repented. Read it together with me. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You see, what is this saying? We may fall again. That may happen. But the person who has really confessed takes the steps that are necessary to avoid sin and to keep close to Jesus. You see, this is the way back. This is the way to spiritual recovery. It begins with conviction by the Spirit, and then it leads to confession by the sinner. And when those two come into agreement, we can be assured of this final and wonderful news, cleansing. Cleansing by the Savior. I love this.
when we do our part, the Savior is ever ready to do His part. I don't know if you've ever put the Gospels together and seen the process by which Jesus restored Peter, but it's a wonderful little Bible study in itself. And let me give it to you this morning. Here is the way that Peter was restored by Jesus. And maybe this morning it might be helpful for us just to look at these verses together to see how he did it. Number one, it was a look. And in that look, Jesus said, Peter, I, I love you. And I hope that you today, in spite of your sin, in spite of your failure, I hope that you see Jesus looking at you, not in wrath, not in rejection, not in anger, but in love. Secondly, turn over with me to Mark 16, verse 7. And I want you to notice that Jesus gave to Peter a message. I'll meet you. Notice this. After the resurrection, when he appeared to the women, he said to them, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And Jesus singles out Peter. Not only do I love you, Peter, but I want to meet you again in restoration. And then notice the meeting. Turn with me now to Luke 24 and, and verse 34. And here are the two men on the way to Emmaus, walking with Jesus. And I want you to notice when they finally arrived and met the disciples... In verse 34, look what they say, saying, The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What's in the context there? The breaking of the bread was fellowship that Jesus had singled out Peter and met with him personally to restore him through forgiveness. And then finally, turn with me to John 21 and verse 15. And notice the final stage in this amazing restoration of Peter. In verse 15, you know how it went. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, Feed my sheep. Three denials. Three affirmations, I love you, Lord. Three restorations to the ministry of caring for God's people. What wonderful lessons we learn from this about how Jesus restores you and me. 
let me just say a few things about them. Notice that restoration is first and foremost to the Lord and to those that are hurt by our sin. Did you notice that? The first three steps in this restoration have to do with Peter's relationship with the Lord. And restoration is always to the Lord and to those who have been hurt by our sin before it is restoration to ministry where we can be useful again. Do you know church history has many, many examples of people who want to skip the first three and jump to number four, but it does not work that way. Relationships must always be repaired before ministry can be restored. Last week after the morning service, someone came to me and they spoke with me. And they said, you know, God does not always give us the same ministry that we had before like Peter was given. And I spoke with them and I said, that's true. God always restores us to Himself, but He does not always restore us to the ministry we may have had before. Do you know the goal of the Christian life is always God's priority? What is God's goal for the Christian life? It is Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And if we wonder what is His purpose, it's in the very next verse, verse 29, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is always God's primary purpose for every single one of us that we are continually restored and continually conformed to the image of His dear Son. And when we have fallen into sin or failure of any kind, if we will focus on the first three, God's primary goal for us to make us into His image will be restored. And then, then we can let Him decide about number four, where He wants us to serve and how He wants us to serve. If I were to ask you this morning, what are Peter's last words to the church? Some of us would know the reference, 2 Peter 3.18. And Peter's very last words to the church is this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's always God's goal for us. And how does it happen? Conviction by the Holy Spirit. Confession by the sinner. Cleansing by the Savior. Let's bow together and thank the Lord. Before we sing and close our service. You might be here today with a heavy 
broken heart. You might be under conviction. Maybe there has wrong that has happened in your family this week. Maybe you've said things, mistreated people. Maybe there's some wrong that you've committed in your personal life, in the community. It's even possible you've harmed somebody and they may not even know that you are the source of their harm. Maybe your failure is a failure between you and Christ alone. That rather than walking close to Him, you've been walking at a distance. Maybe you've been keeping His people away. Whatever it is, you're here today by divine appointment. And God wants to use the experience of Peter to be your experience. But you must submit to it. You must accept it. And this morning, I pray for you. I pray for those sitting around you. Every Christian at some point in their life has been through this. Most of us would say we've been through it many times. The turning point in my life as a teenager was sitting in church, not paying attention, goofing around when the Holy Spirit brought me under conviction. I knew immediately after the service I had to go to my pastor and I had to confess what I had done. It was one of the hardest things that I'd ever done as a teenager. But I knew I could never have God's peace. I knew I could never follow the Lord as He wanted me to unless I took those steps. The pastor said words to me that have changed my life. I have never been the same since. He said to me, Brian, I did not see it. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that you know that God saw it. And that was the beginning of me being open to the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that I had never known before. And my life has never been the same since. And had I not gone to my pastor that night and done my part to make things right, though I learned he didn't even know it, what an opportunity I would have missed out on. And so I urge you today, let conviction work in your soul. Let it bring you to true repentance. And let Jesus restore you to Him and to those you have wronged. 
And then He will take care of where He wants you to serve. Lord God, certainly many of us today have areas of our lives where we need to be restored to You. We all stumble in many ways. And we pray today that by the working of Your Holy Spirit, Peter's story will be our story. For Jesus' sake. Amen.